Thanks again for, uh, for being here. Today uh, we will, not only as we come to the Word of God and, and come to uh, the house of the Lord, we'll be uh, commissioning and sending off our salmon-colored friends who are going to the Dominican Republic on Tuesday. Um, at the end of our service, we'll have the, the uh, folks going to DR come up and our, our house church shepherds will, will pray for them. So um, please, be, uh, please be mindful of that uh, at the end of our uh, service. Um, we so maybe about a, a month ago we hosted a bunch of pastors from across the states came uh, to our church. We hosted them for a pastors conference for our denomination. Um, I'm, I remember a, a similar conference like that, maybe 2002, 2003, about maybe 13 or 14 years ago. Uh, I was uh, just very uh, fresh into ministry. I was still in seminary. My home church in Virginia was hosting that that, that conference, around 100 or so pastors, and um, I remember being there. And kind of being in, in awe, mesmerized by uh, the people in attendance. A lot of these people, you know, I was just a, a part-time youth pastor, but I was there with uh, men who had been in the ministry for many, many years. A lot of who, men whom I had respected. Some of them, in my years growing up in, in youth group, they had spoken at my retreats, and, and they were there, and I was seeing them in a completely different light as just conference attendees. And I was really excited being there, and I was excited for a lot of different things, but the main thing I, I think I was excited was about was um, there was one of the main speakers, a, a man named Tim Keller, who was speaking there, and he was my first preaching professor, and um, at the time, just completely in awe of everything that he was and everything that he did, and he was just soak up everything that, that he would teach. And so he was there, and I remember uh, he, he gave a, a wonderful, just a, a great message but by the end of the conference, it was a little bit kind of, it was interesting to me because the person who had captivated my heart and my attention more than anyone else was not Tim Keller, but it was this other pastor, this other preacher, this other guy who shared the stage with uh, Tim Keller during this conference. And he was a, a pastor from the Seattle area, young guy. He was about in his early 30s. And everything about his presentation was so endearing and captivating to me. He was funny, he was wise, he was winsome, he was hip. The handouts that he gave uh, not only had his outline, but they had these like really fun pictures and clip art at the time, which was so magical to make a presentation come alive. And I remember being like, man, this guy is awesome. And so after I left that conference, I Googled and looked up, you know, they didn't have Twitter or things where you can follow these, these people at the time. So I Googled him and, and searched and found his website and tried to listen to everything that I could get my hands on about this wonderful new pastor who had become my hero, my mentor from afar. Some of my early uh, discipleship material that I would create as a youth pastor uh, would have some of these clip art things that I learned from him. And I was like, this guy is amazing. It's so good. And so you can imagine the shock that I felt some three, four years later when I heard that this pastor that I had so respected, had been asked to give up his credentials because of something that had happened in his life and in his church and in his family. And I remember thinking to myself, no way, that could not be the same guy that we're talking about. He was a rising star in one of the bright, shining denominations in the world. He was Superman. He was, he was bulletproof. And I remember thinking to myself, if it could happen, if he could crash like that, then surely it could happen to me too. And it scared me and it awakened me to reality. 
of a life that I had been so blind to. If it could happen to him, I reckon it could happen to me. And if it could happen to him, then it could happen to any of us. And as we come to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says a crash can happen to any. And he warns us and he teaches us how we can prepare ourselves in order that when these things happen, we could stand firm. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 24 through 29. Jesus, like any other orator, teacher, preacher, writer, wants to end well. And so he finishes his sermon with one of the greatest and most well-known illustrations of his teaching. This is uh, the word of God from Matthew 7, verses 24 uh, through 29. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is God's word. So what is uh, the conclusion to the most famous sermon in the world, the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. What does the conclusion tell us about this idea of crashing and burning? A couple of things. I just want to talk about two things that we see here. The first thing is that we will all face storms. And they will test what we're made of. We will all face storms and the storms are going to test what we're made of. You, you hear this story and if you think about it, you meditate, you reflect upon it deeply enough you begin to realize that this sounds vaguely familiar and somewhat similar to a story that we may have all heard growing up as children. Last week, we talked about wolves in sheep's clothing. Reminds us of Little Red Riding Hood. But this story that Jesus tells reminds us of a story of a mother who sent her three little pigs off into the world. And these three little pigs decided they're going to each build a house. And the first one builds his house using what? Straw. Right? Built his house using straw, and a wolf comes. A wolf with a, an appetite for bacon comes, and he knocks on the door. And what does the wolf say? The wolf says, what does he say? He says, let me in, let me in, let the party begin. Something to that effect. The pig responds by saying what? What does the pig say? The pig says, no, you're a wolf. But he says, really, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin, chin, right? Which is funny because they're little pigs who probably don't have much hair on them because they're prepubescent. But anyways, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Chin. And the response of the wolf is, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And so to this first little pig, he blows the house down. And depending on the story, the original version of the story says that the wolf ate bacon that night. Goes to the second house because he realized, wow, that tasted good. And maybe it comes from the same family. I'm going to go looking for hot dogs this time. And so he finds this pig who is building his house not on straw but with sticks, 
right? Wood builds his house of sticks and the wolf comes and he knocks on the door of that pig's house and he says what? He says the same thing. Let me in, let me in, let the feasting begin. And the pig responds by saying, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And the wolf says, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And he blows it down and he gets this little pig squealing and he eats it. And the wolf goes on looking for its next prey. And so he goes and he finds a third little pig. This pig was building his house using brick because he's a smart pig. And so he goes to this house of brick and he says, knock, knock, let me in, let me in, let the party begin. And the wolf says, not by the hair of my chinny, chin, chin. He says, and I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And as much as he can blow, as much as he blows, the house did not fall. And so he's angry because he's, he's not just angry, he's hungry. So he's angry, right? And so what does he do? He climbs up, he pretends he's Santa Claus and he goes through the chimney. You remember this? And then he gets burned in a cauldron of boiling water. And instead of the wolf eating the pig, the pig eats the wolf that day and the pig lives happily ever after in his house made of brick. Why? As you read this, as you hear this kid's story, is everything repeated? It's so predictable. Just say the wolf said the same thing. Dialogue went the same way, and he huffed, and he puffed, and he couldn't blow it down. Why? Jesus does the same thing here. So he's not talking about three little pigs building their house. He's talking about two people who are building their home. He doesn't say they're building it with straw or stick or brick, but he's saying everything is the same. If you read verse 25 and verse, uh, verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, same thing it says in verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 25, the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Verse 27, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Why? Why is it that in the three little pigs and in the two little houses, all these things are repeated? Because the authors are using this literary technique to show that everything is the same in every person's life. Okay? The pigs, are, they're all building. They're all being confronted by a wolf. The wolf is going to test the material. And the only thing variable is what they built that house with. Same thing with Jesus. Saying everyone, all, okay, everyone I'm, I'm talking about here is hearing the same word. Okay? That's, that's not the variable. We're all building a house. Okay? Everyone is building a house. Every single one of us is building a house based on the choices that we make. We're building a house, and that house is called life. And the storms come. The, storms, the rains come down. The streams come up. The winds beat and blow against every house that is built. Why? What does Jesus say? saying all of us are going through the same thing in life. Okay, that's not the variable. It's not, man, you know what? Uh, they're going through harder things than me. We're all going through hard stuff. Some stuff is harder than others. But the reality is that we're all facing the same thing. The only variable is upon which foundation are we building our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. Everything in context is the same. Jesus is saying the storms are coming for every one of us. A storm can come in a lot of different ways. It's interesting here because it says the rains come down from above, the streams come up from below, and the winds are beating and blowing against the house. The storm can come from any direction, right? It's coming from all around, and it's testing what the house is made of. Okay, so as these things are happening, storm can come in a lot of different ways. A lot of times it comes in the form of news. 
we regret to inform you that though your interview was wonderful, we decided to go in a different direction. And you were so set on that job. You thought that you were going to get this, you thought you were going to get acceptance into this college. It was your dream. From the time you were three years old, somebody bought you a t-shirt of that college and that was your hope. That was your dream only to get to senior year in high school and you get that rejection letter and you realize, you know what? Uh, I I don't know what I'm going to do now. The storms will come to all of us. A routine medical examination, a routine physical results in a callback saying you need to do blood work, results in a callback saying, you know what? Uh, We need to run more tests. We need to do a biopsy. And all of a sudden, your life is thrown upside down. Storms can come in a lot of different ways. You overhear mom and dad fighting. You know they've been fighting for a while. But for the first time, you hear them say, we're not willing to fight for our marriage anymore. All of a sudden, the storms in life are coming at us from all different directions. And they're testing what we're made of. How have you dealt with the storms in life? What was the most recent storm that came to your life? Because Jesus says, listen, it's clear. Everyone is building one of two kinds of houses and the storms will come to all of us. And we are what wisdom dictates that we understand the reality that the storm is going to come. A lot of times we live life trying to live like storm avoiders. If I can do the right thing, I'll avoid the storms in life. I just need to study, 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 have no social life, have no friends, do nothing about church, but just study, study, study. If I can do my best, then I'll be protected from the storm of rejection from the university. Jesus says, no, no, no. The storm is going to come one way or another. I just got to eat healthy, got to work out. If I do everything that I can in order to make sure that I'm healthy, then the storm of illness will not come to me. The storm of disease will not come to me. You know what? If I just, if I just make enough money, if I can insulate myself from all of these things, no matter what happens, everything's going to be okay. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The storms are going to come regardless to every single person who lives in this world. Because you see, we're all building houses. And in order for us to be tested, the storms need to come. Remember what Jesus said in this section on worry in Matthew 6. He says, don't worry. Why why shouldn't we worry? Why does he say don't worry? Not because there's no such thing as anything to worry about. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will worry about itself. In other words, there will be stuff to worry about come tomorrow, but don't worry about tomorrow today because today you got enough worries today. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, here's your forecast for life. There will be stuff to worry about today. Come tomorrow, there'll be stuff to worry about tomorrow. The forecast calls for trouble. The forecast calls for storm. Here's your reality, brothers and sisters. We cannot avoid the storms in life. Jesus, the master teacher, his intent is not to spare us from them, but his intent is to prepare us for the storm. And that's what he's been doing through the Sermon on the Mount, and that's what he's doing in the conclusion. The storms are going to come. There's this show on Discovery Channel got canceled, but it's called Storm Chasers. And a lot of us try to be storm avoiders. But Jesus is saying, let's be wiser than that. The storms will come. It's inevitable. We need to prepare ourselves for it. Why does he give us these storms? Because they test the very foundation upon which we build our lives. We're not tested. A house is not tested by the sunshine. It's tested by the storm. And so Jesus is trying to help us to see. So as my four-year-old Elijah gets bigger, as he gets older, he thinks to himself, you know what? 
I'm older, I'm smarter, and doggone it, I can jump really high. That's what, that's what Elijah thinks. And so the other day, actually one the other day, maybe like three, four months ago, uh, we were hanging out one day after church. And, you know, if you look straight, don't, don't look right now, but if you look straight outside, you'll see this orange cone and you'll see yellow rope. Okay, These things protect uh, children from cars. The cars don't come over here because kids are running around uh, in this area. And so one day as we're leaving church, it was about, you know, in the afternoon, Elijah said, Daddy, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. I said, okay, Elijah. And he says, watch this. And he runs from the door of the church building, and he runs, and he jumps over that rope. Or he tries to at least. He trips on the rope, and he eats asphalt. And I look at him, and his knee is all scraped up, and... He's crying, daddy, daddy, daddy. So I run and I pick him up and I'm holding him. And as he calms down after about you know, a couple seconds, I'm just kidding. As he calms down, after he's crying. Elijah, it's okay. He's crying. And then he says, daddy, that's actually not what I wanted to show you. <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, Elijah, I believe that you're really good at jumping. But anyone can jump on a rope that's on the ground. It's when the rope is high that you're actually tested. And Elijah, you failed this test. So from starting from today, we're going to go to the gym. And we're going to work out <laughs> so that you can pass the test next time. Now he's like dunking and flying. And all. Anyone can pass the test in the sun when the sun is shining down on us. But the true test is when the storms of life come. That tests what we're really made of. We can be a great follower of Jesus Christ. Everything is going well. Our grades are good. Parents are doing well. Finances are all in order. Cupboard is not bare. That's not the test of how, that's not the test of how we live, of our foundation. It's tested when the storms come. Jesus says, okay, so to two people here, two people. One, the only thing different is, is a foundation upon which they build. One guy was building his house, hard work, digging into the ground, getting into the rock so that the house can have a firm foundation. The other guy, it says he built his house, verse 26, a foolish man who built his house on sand. Easier. It looks more pretty, beautiful. We went out to, family went out to California uh, I forgot when it was, maybe, uh, in, in, in March or April, and one of the things we did, and, and Kenneth, Kenneth Cook was with us, so we went to Laguna Beach, right? Laguna Beach, and we got to the beach overlooking the Pacific Ocean, there was a ton of houses built along the sand. Ceiling to floor, windows all around, beautiful. Like, man, I wonder how much it costs to live in one of these houses. I wonder how much it costs to buy one of these houses. I wonder what it would cost to Airbnb one of these things. Looking out, all you see is ocean, as far as you can see. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It's why people build a house on the sand. But what they often fail to really, and as I was thinking about it, this is so beautiful, it's so wonderful. I remember this song that I used to uh, hear when I was in elementary school says, don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. It might look kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice. Or you have to build your house once more. What good is a pretty, beautiful house if when the rain comes, it erodes the sand, it erodes the very under 
foundation upon which the house stands. And many houses have fallen into the ocean because they wanted to build their house upon the sand. Jesus says, you got to build your house upon a rock. Okay, so that's the image. Okay, that's the image that we're all building something and the storm is going to come to all of us to test what we're made of. That's the first thought. The second thought, we'll be a little bit more practical to what Jesus is saying here. The second thought we see that only one kind of house will stand. Only one kind of house will stand. Verse 25, the rain came down, streams rose, winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. If we had a choice, we would know, okay, Jesus says, don't build your house on the sand, build it on the rock. Because one day the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. Okay? It's a song that we play in our car because our kids like it. Rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm. And so we know we got to build our house upon the rock. But what does that mean? It says in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The first thing that he says here is, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. The first, the first thing that we have to do if we want to build our house upon the rock is we've got to hear the word of Jesus. A lot of people, their lives come crashing down when the storms of life come because they don't know, they don't hear the word of God. Is your problem as you try to withstand the storms of life because you don't know what the word of God says? For a lot of people, it's as simple as that. We don't know what the word says. Trying to build our marriage, trying to raise our children, trying to have a relationship with our significant other, trying to be wise with our finances, trying to make the most of our life, but we don't know what the word of God says. What happens when that happens, when you don't know the word of God? It's what you don't know, isn't it, that kills you all the time? You're taking a test. You've got a test. Oh, you don't know you have a test. Oh, we have a test today? I didn't know I'm taking a test. What you don't know is what's going to kill you because you're going to fail that test if you're not prepared for it. But say you do take a test. You know that you have a test. And you're taking this test. You want to get 100 really badly, but there's like five questions that you didn't know were going to be on it. It's what you don't know that kills you. So what happens if you don't know that you've got a choice to either store your treasure on earth or in heaven. If you don't know that Jesus says you should store up treasure in heaven where wrath and moth, rust and moth do not uh, destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal, then we're going we're gonna to store up our treasure on earth. What happens if we store up treasure on earth? We're going to work and work and work and work and work ourselves into the ground and we're going to neglect our family. We're going to neglect our kids. We're going to neglect our responsibilities. We're going to neglect our personal life. And the storm will come in the form of cardiac arrest at the age of 35. We're going to get to our funeral. And the eulogies are going to be spoken. He was a visionary. He worked so hard. He was so good with his investments. He made so much. He was so opportunistic. All these people will say, what would Jesus say? One word. Fool. <clears throat> because he did not hear and know the word of God. What happens? Well, we don't realize that people, relationships are the most important thing in Christian life. 
We're going to spend all of our lives on other things. On work, on money, on success, on popularity and fame, whatever it is. And you're going to step on people in order to get to the top of the corporate ladder. And you're going to make it. And you're going to die one day and there's going to be nobody at your funeral. Because you've burned so many bridges in order to be the best that you could be. And the funeral directors are going to look at your, at your casket and say, it's so sad. So sad someone dies so alone. So tragic. What a loss. And Jesus will look at that person and say, what a fool. He would say that probably with lots of love and lots of tenderness, but the reality that it's a foolish way to live. And a lot of, a lot of us, the storms come and we crash and we fall apart because we don't know what the word of God says. If you hear the word of God, Jesus says you're on the first step in digging a foundation that's going to stand firm in the midst of the storms of life. But it's not just hear the word. It's interesting how this all ends. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he had authority. He wasn't like the other teachers of the law. He had authority when he preached. You ever heard a preacher like that before? You listen to them, you're like, man, this guy, this girl, whoever it is, is different. Man, there's a power to what they say. There's an authority to what they say. I want to actually receive what they have. This person is different. You hear the word and you're amazed, but Jesus says, you know what? There's nothing that says that they obeyed. And the house of the person who does not live out what they hear is like a house that's built on the sand without a foundation. Listen, we can be easily fooled into thinking that just because we hear the word of God, that we're blessed. That we're moved by the word of God, that we're amazed by the word of God. The apostle James, he says in in, in the book of James, he says, no, 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 no. You're not blessed because you know. No one's blessed because they know what to do. You're blessed when you do it. You can know the word of God, but if you don't do it, you're deceived. The other day I was at at, at church, uh, the Dominican Republic missions uh, missionaries were having a lock-in, and our uh, team leader, Pastor Daniel, had to leave to go somewhere, and he texted me, and he said, you got to drive slowly coming out of church because there's cops. And I thought to myself, wow, that's such good news. Such good news. He warned me about the pending judgment of the police. Therefore, in light of that, I need to respond by driving slowly. Oh, I feel so blessed that I heard the good news, that I heard an amazing message of hope, of life, of salvation from destruction. I'm so blessed. And then I go and I drive 80 miles in a 25-mile-per-hour zone, and the cop pulls me over. I'm not blessed. I'm deceived. I'm deceived into thinking that just because I know something that I'm blessed. A lot of us come out of worship service saying, you know what? I was so blessed that service. According to the book of James, you're not blessed after a worship service. You cannot say you're blessed when you walk out of here unless you've actually begun to live that out and you began to know the blessing of living in obedience to the word of God. There's a fine line between blessing and deception. It's not enough to know. You've got to put it into practice. See, a lot of us know, a lot of us are even amazed at the teaching. I learned something new today. I felt something in my heart. I'm so excited about this. But if we don't put it into practice, we're building our house upon sand. And when the storms of life come, there will be a crash. Could that be the reason why 
when the pressure rises in your life, you have such a difficult time holding it together because you don't put the word of God into practice. You're like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I live right for Christ? Because we don't put the word of God into practice so that when the pressure and the storms and the floods and the wind and the breakers come, we cannot stand because we have not developed a habit of putting the word of God into practice. That's what Jesus is saying. It's very simple. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would call this counseling, but I meet a lot of people throughout the week, right? And typically it's, it's not to say, hey, I just wanted to tell you, I wanted to, I wanted to give you a million dollars for building projects. It's usually not like that. It's usually because there's something of an issue in somebody's life. And so typical, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, here's the typical pattern of a counseling conversation. For, so for those of you who really feel like you need to meet, I'm going to tell you uh, how I'll do it so that we can do wholesale counseling at one time right now so that um, I can have a couple free weeks. This is typically how it goes. Hey, DL, can we meet up? Sure, let's meet up. Let's, uh, let, let's, go, to, uh, let's go to Starbucks. Okay, we're at Starbucks. Hey, um, after a bunch of small talks, so how are the kids doing? You know, Elijah, is he able to jump over the rope now? Is everything going okay? Man, you know, I saw the picture on Facebook. She was like such a good dancer. You know, I wish I could watch her. And moment of silence. So um, there's a situation. You know, we could have saved a lot of time. If, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I love the small talk, okay? There's a situation. I got a problem. I'm in some hot water. Um, I'm so angry and bitter at my wife. I have had it up to here with my parents. I am living in a compromising relationship with my unbelieving significant other. Uh, I stole money from the bank. <laughs> Whatever it is, I've got a problem. Okay. Uh, I haven't heard that one yet. Praise the Lord. Hopefully never. Or if you did, then, then talk to me. But if you didn't, don't do it. And then don't talk to me. <laughs> second thing. Okay, second thing. Okay, that's good. What do you think you should do about it? In other words, I'm asking, what, what, is, what does the Bible say about it? What does God say about your situation? If they don't know, then I will proceed to tell them what the Bible says. Okay, you really ought to love Forgive, pray for your spouse that you're so bitter at. And you cannot hold on to this bitterness or your marriage is going to fall apart. Uh, you really ought to honor your parents, love them, obey them. And a lot of times they know this. So sometimes a question I'll ask to get to this place is if they're you know, a little bit more spiritually mature, I'll say, listen, if someone came to you with this issue, how would you advise them? What would you counsel them to do? And a lot of times they'll say, well, the Bible says this and this and this. My job is done then. The third thing, very simple, and this is the make or break. Say, so what are you going to do? You going to do it? What are you going to do? Otherwise, you did. I mean, the, I think at the end of the day, the majority of people who come to me know the issue. They know the solution. It's just they need someone to encourage them. Just live it now. Just do it. They do it. Forgive. Move towards them. Love them. I'm struggling with materialism. What do you think you ought to do? I ought to tithe. Okay, so you're going to do it? Do it. Experience the freedom and the grace and the love of God. That's it. And that's life over and over and over again in every situation. You know what? I, gotta, I think I have a crush on this person. They don't follow Jesus. They don't love him. They do a lot of compromising things. What does the Bible say? You shouldn't pursue them. Okay, are you going to pursue them or are you not? If you don't pursue them, you're building your house on sand. It's a sandy choice. 
And we repeat that ad infinitum because this is life. We're constantly having to make choices because the storms of life are going to come. And they're testing that foundation. Did you do it? Are you living it? Are you putting the word of God into practice? Because the interesting thing that Jesus says about both the sandy man and the rocky man is that both of them hear the word. Verse 24, verse 26, it's the same thing. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, the only difference is one puts them into practice. The other doesn't. Are you the kind of person that puts the word of God into practice? Then I have a prediction for you. When the storms come, you're going to be able to stand. Because these storms will come. Sometimes they're little storms, little ones, like a little quiz storm. Sometimes they're a little bit bigger, like a test. Sometimes they're EOC, end of chapter, end of semester, end of year test. Oh, it's a little bit bigger. End of my ninth grade test. And then there's an end of your high school career test. But all of this to say that there is a final exam that's coming one day. It will be the ultimate test of all. The ultimate storm of all when we stand before God on judgment day. And you can call this a perfect storm. Because there will be a perfect God. And in order to pass, you have to have a perfect obedience. That's not very uh, hopeful because the word of God tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The fact that we hear this all the time doesn't make it any less remarkable. So what does a great professor do? He enters into our world to take a test that he didn't need to test. Why? He didn't need to take. Why? Not any professor can take their own and pass their own test. But Jesus came into the world not only to take a test, but to endure the storm. On the cross, Jesus endured the perfect storm of all of God's infinite perfection against an unjust and evil and sinful and destructive world, a kind of world where one lone gunman shoots and kills 50 people in a night of crazy rampage, leaving others in the hospital. He took the storm of God's wrath against choices like that. He takes a storm of God's wrath against terrorism, against, against racism, against uh, condemnation, against gossip. He takes all of the wrath against those things. Not only that, he takes the wrath of God and the storm of God, the judgment of God for every last word that we've spoken offhand to gossip about someone, to make fun of them, to criticize them. Every wandering thought, every lustful look, every wrongful action, every miss. Guided motivation for what we do. All of these things upon Jesus Christ. And if the storm indeed tests what a person is made of, what did the storm reveal about Jesus? What, when pressed, came out of Jesus? He said, Father, forgive. Why? It's important. For they do not know what they do. These people didn't hear the word of God. For they do not know what they do. But the storm of God's wrath was so comprehensive that it wasn't just for the people who didn't know what they were doing. Jesus could just have easily said, Father, forgive them. Not only do they not know what they do, Father, forgive all those who do not do what they know. 
Jesus took the storm of God's wrath for all of us who build our house upon the sandy foundation of hearing but not doing. And he took our punishment and he took our wrath and he took our storm and he took our judgment and he took our hell so that in its place, the doors of heaven would be wide open to us. We hear that, but do we trust it? Do we obey it? Do we put that into practice? Because if we do, then the house on the rock will stand firm. You trust him? You trust that what he says is for your good. And that even if it seems like you're losing, you always gain when you give to Jesus. You trust that? A few weeks ago, um, our church held a golf tournament for the Joshua Foundation. And at the end of the tournament, in here, this very room, okay, in this very room, there was an award ceremony. It was given out, given out awards to the best golfer, to the longest drive, to all these things. They gave out things like a bag of rice was given to someone. Someone walked out of here with a big TV, a bunch of other things. And because I didn't play, um, that stuff was exciting, oohs and ahs, but uh, I was really excited because there was a raffle, meaning you didn't have to know anything about golf in order to win, so this was, man, I saw some of the gifts that were being raffled off, orchids. It's nice. You know, I forget some of the golf balls. Okay, that's cool. Uh, but there was a Dyson vacuum cleaner that was being raffled away. When I, when I got into church to eat dinner, uh, there was a couple harvesters. One, uh, Yujin Huang, who had been working at the tournament, and then Seho Hong, uh, they, who had been playing at the tournament, they bought a bunch of raffle tickets. And then another guy from our Korean congregation who bought a bunch of tickets for me. So nice of him to do that. I said, thank you, thank you. So I had these rows of tickets, and then uh, Yujin and Seho had to leave, and they said, hey, if, uh, here, here's my tickets. So as the raffle prizes are being announced, okay, I've got so many tickets. I'm so excited. I said, Lord, it would be great if I could win a Dyson vacuum cleaner. I like that vacuum. I think Olive would be very happy if I brought one of those things home. I think she'd be happy. I said, Lord, that would be nice. Just saying. Amen. <laughs> and it got to the end of the time. I hadn't won anything and shut out completely. I've got all these tickets and nothing is winning. And they say, okay, one more vacuum cleaner. I'm so excited, Lord. First three numbers I got. But so did everyone else. Fourth number, I got. Fifth number, I got. Sixth number, yeah, the winner. Yeah, so exciting. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. So they said, anyone have it? Anyone have it? I said, I've got it. And I stood up and people were like, oh, most of the people are Korean speaking. They said, oh, Moksan, which means pastor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I'm walking up to get my thing, and I'm so excited. I was like, yeah, you know, that's a great vacuum cleaner. It's so good. And, ah, oh, purple is your color. And so I bring it back to my seat. And it's about 10 minutes into my possession, I begin to realize, oh, my gosh, this might not even be mine. It hadn't crossed my mind. And so I started looking because I wrote uh, Seho, DL, Eugen on each of the string of tickets. So I looked at the missing gap, and I said, Seho. I was like, dang. I thought to myself, you know, Seho and Jane, they just had a new baby. I don't think Grace would like the sound of a vacuum cleaner in the home. (laughs) Seho and Jane just had a new baby, and they don't have time to vacuum. 
they don't, they can't use this. And so I said, I'm, let's just, let, let me pray about this. So I went home and I said, Olive, I brought this box home. And she's like, what's that? I said, it's a vacuum cleaner. It's a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Like, oh, cool. But I, I said, but it's actually technically sells. Like, oh, okay, why'd you bring it in? I said, I didn't want it to melt in the trunk of the car, right? So brought it in, and you know, he doesn't know that it's really his. He probably forgot it. He probably assumed he wasn't gonna win. What do you think, Ollie? You think we can keep it? Like, no, if it's his, you gotta give it to him. I said, well, let me let me talk to somebody who knows. So I set up a counseling appointment with myself. <laughs> I said Hey, uh, you know, D.L., can I have some of your time? I said, sure. They're having this conversation, right? This angel and this demon. And uh, say, hey, here's my problem. I got this vacuum cleaner, but I don't think it's mine. Uh, what do you think God's word says? You should, should be honest. Probably should give it to him. Okay, so what are you going to do? <laughs> so I texted Seho. I said, you don't need a vacuum cleaner, do you? <laughs> he said, actually, we do. Like, that's the wrong answer, bro. Come on. <laughs> I said, you won, buddy. You won. And I was really, you know, I was happy. I was happy. You know, I wanted, I wanted them to, I wanted to, you know, I'm a good pastor. I, <laughs> so I said, i give it to you. And it took about a month, but I finally gave it to them. I didn't use it, okay, but I gave it to them. And I was happy. I was happy to get that vacuum cleaner. Yeah, my floors could have been a little bit cleaner for a little bit longer but I was happy. Why? Because I heard the word and I put it into practice. I did what God wanted me to do. I felt a clear conscience about it. And life is good. And then four weeks after that, I got a text from the organizer of the golf tournament. Hey, Pastor DL, how's that vacuum cleaner? Actually, I gave it to its rightful owner, Seho. It was his. I said, well, guess what? I've got another one that I wanted to give to you and Olivia. And so I'm going to give it to our son to bring it to you. And so three weeks ago, we not only got a Dyson vacuum cleaner, but we got it with the favor of God and with a clear conscience in my heart. You believe that when God tells you his word, that it's for your good? Not enough to hear, not enough to be amazed, but to put it into practice. As you do that, you're building your house upon a rock. Let's pray. How do you need to respond to the word of God this morning, my friends? Have you been really good at hearing? Have you been really good at taking notes Have you been really good at talking about the word of God in your house, church, but not so great about living it out? We're not blessed because we know what we ought to do. We're blessed when we put it into practice. Has the Lord God been convicting you of something in your life? Has he been telling you that this is how you need to respond to the situation in life? For a lot of us who've been in the church, the issue is not that you don't know what to do. That we don't want to do it because we're afraid. We're afraid to take that step. We're afraid to trust. We're afraid to obey. But what if you knew? What if you knew 
that your father loved you. And you knew that in obeying, you were guarding yourself from the storm that is inevitable in life. Would you do it? Way too many reasons to trust. Way too many reasons to follow what God says. Can we take a minute today? Maybe the Lord is convicting you of a relationship that you need to uh, seek reparations in. Maybe he's challenging you about a certain area of your finances. Maybe he's challenging you about a certain compromise in your life. Maybe he's convicting you of the way that you spend your time. Maybe he's convicting you of the way that you view people. Whoever hears these words of Jesus and puts them into practice is like a man, is like a woman who built their house upon a rock. The storms came and the house on the rock stood firm. Let's pray for a couple moments to respond to the word of God, respond to what we know of his word. Let's pray for a couple moments and then I'll pray for us and then we'll uh, continue in our worship service. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you uh, humbled by your grace and your mercy and by the fact that we fall so short of your standard so many times. And yet as we sing this morning, you pursue us and you run after us and you never let us go and you never leave us and you keep on coming after us in order that we might realize that the hound of heaven is not chasing us to bite us, but is chasing us to bless us. May we believe that you're good. May we believe that you're love. May we build our lives upon the cornerstone that is Jesus and his word so that when the storms come, we'd be able to stand, not only in the moment by moment, but most importantly and first and foremost, to trust in you, knowing that the ultimate storm of life is one day coming when we face you. Father, we pray that by grace we draw near to you. Help us to not just be hearers, not just be knowers, but to be doers, practicers, not just professors, but possessors of a faith that is demonstrated in action. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pray these things in Jesus' name.